Welcome to the Love Yourself Naked podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Glubish, and I've been working with women for over two years to help them ditch the diet mentality, find food freedom, and gain a body confidence that they never knew was possible. There is so much information out there about how to eat, how to exercise, and how to live a healthy lifestyle. My goal on the show is to help answer all your questions and provide you the tools you need to live in peace with food and love your body. So if you are ready to discover what it's like to live a life without obsession, you are in the right place. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Welcome to Love Yourself Naked. I have with me today a very special guest. I'm so honored to be joined by Miss Jack Sweeney. Jack is joining me from Edmonton, which is my hometown, as most of you guys know. Um, And we're going to chat about a lot of different things today. So Jack, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the honor of this. I mean, I have been very excited about this ever since you got in contact with me. Yeah, it's been a long time coming because I think when I first contacted you, <laughs> it was pretty, it was, I think you were only a couple of weeks out or maybe like a month out from having your newest baby. Yes, I was a million months pregnant with my third and just completely overwhelmed. And I was like, I don't think I can do this right now, but give me a couple months and I am there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here we are. First of June. Super exciting. Um, <laughs> so why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? I feel like a lot of people who are listening are going to be super familiar with who you are because a lot of my audience is from Edmonton. Um, but for those who don't know, go ahead, give us a little rundown of who you are. Thank you. Hey, I am Jack or Jacqueline Sweeney and born and raised Edmontonian. I love Edmonton. Um, I work on a radio station here called Kissing Country 103.9. I have been part of the morning show now for 12 years, which just oh blows my mind. <laughs> I know it's gone by in the blink of an eye. Um, I'm a mom to three kids. I, I get emotional just saying that even I never thought I'd be a mom to three kids. And it's just like the best best thing that ever happened to me. I love my work and I love being a mom and I never want to give either of those up. I think you can do it all if you want it all. And that is what I'm striving to do. So a radio host by day and a mom by night. (laughs) That is so fun. So what, and and it's so crazy that it's been 12 years because I do remember, I guess that would take me back to being like 16. Um, But I do remember, yeah, growing up and you were like, it was the Chris, Jack and Matt show. So yeah, this new girl came on the radio and I originally came from TV. So I had a lot of skeptics that were like, what is this TV girl doing on the radio? And even my own parents were like, you wanted to be in TV so bad. Why are you going to radio? And now it was just such the obvious choice. And, and I love it. We have such a great community on Kissing Country. I can't even imagine working for anyone else. I grew up listening to Kissing Country. So Chris, my co-host loves when I say, I grew up listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) The fact of you working in, in a station that you grew up on and and that you listen to is just surreal. My very first concert was Reba McIntyre and getting to meet Reba McIntyre with my dad, you know, 25 years later was insane. Like there's just, there's so many full circle moments with this job and I, I love it. That is so cool. Um, tell us a little bit more about TV. I didn't know that you were in TV before. So what was, what was that journey like? I feel, I feel like I had a whole lifetime before radio. Um, I graduated high school here in Edmonton. I'm a proud St. Francis Xavier grad and decided, well, Hey, I'm tall. I can't really play sports that well. So I'm going to model. So I did, I ended up modeling for a couple of years. I went all across the world. It was a great opportunity to see the world, but also, 
a little bit of a not so healthy and very toxic industry for me personally. And we can get into that later if you want. But when I, uh, when I was modeling, I said, okay, well, what's my next step? All of my friends had gone to school. All of my friends were in university and college. And I thought, well, obviously the next step is television. <laughs> so uh, I went, I went to Nate. I went to the radio and television program at Nate. It's two years. I highly recommend it. It was awesome. I got to still live locally. I lived with my dad at the time go to school, was in and out in two years, did my practicum in medicine hat and got a job here in Edmonton. And I worked in television for five years. And just like radio, it went by in the blink of an eye. And I loved TV. It was, it was fun. It was exciting, but personally, it just didn't, it didn't fulfill me. There was always a script. There was always a mandate and you could never, you could never really get to know the people or have that relationship with the people because it was, you know, and that's the nature of news. One story, you're done for the day, goodbye. And so I got asked to fill in for Kiss and Country by Chris um, one random weekend and one of their co-hosts was on vacation. And from the moment I was on air, I was like, this is what I was missing. It's still that on-air presence where you're nervous, you don't really know what's coming up next, you're, you've got that, you know, what are we going to say? What's that person going to say? And it's live. But then you've also got that relationship part of it is where you learn to love the listeners and they learn to love you and you get so involved in each other's lives. I've had listeners have babies and, you know, have grandchildren and you're so genuinely excited for them because you know their family, you know their kids' names and you're like, oh my gosh, you've wanted grandchildren for so long. I'm so excited for you. And you get to hear their updates and their stories um, year by year and you truly grow up together. And that is the connection I was missing for me personally in television. Where I was, there just wasn't that. There is certain TV stations that are like that, but where I was, it was just, it was news. It was move on. But with Kiss and Country, it's, it's a continued relationship and I love it. That is so cool and so beautiful. And I think that like that resonates so much for me because something that inspires me so much about my work is the ability to have that connection is that ability to grow with people and to not only see their growth, but your growth as well. And, you know, you're going to, I'm sure that you already look back and you're like, holy crap, 12 years ago, you know, I wasn't even, I don't know how long you've been married for, but I wasn't even engaged. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so you look back and some of the people that you knew back then to see how far they've come to see how much you've transformed is probably just so cool. It's really neat. It's very fulfilling. That is so awesome. So how do you manage the radio with social media? Because you also have a very large social media presence. I know for you um, and for me as well, like I'm so, I so value connection that sometimes it gets to feel a little bit overwhelming because you do (laughs) want to be so involved and so present, but like you only have so much bandwidth. So How do you, and obviously being a mom and trying to like set those boundaries with personal and business and social media, like how do you navigate all of that? If you know, let me know. I'm still, (laughs) (laughs) I am still trying to figure that out. Um, I, I think that I've always been into social media. Um, I don't know. You you grew up in Edmonton and those who grew up in the Edmonton area will, will know what I'm talking about when I say Nexopia. Nexopia was like before Facebook, before MySpace, it was like the like very, very uh, bare bones version of an Instagram. Yeah. You had your own page and you posted photos and you posted bio. 
And I was into Nexopia even before it was even a thing. I was so excited about this. And so that social media connection I have felt from day one. So it's always been something that I have been attracted to and that I've wanted part of my life. I remember my parents saying, what are you doing putting yourself out there on the internet? Now, that sounds bad, but you know what I mean? Like even just like a photo, they just didn't get it. And it wasn't anything racy or it was just like, hey, I'm Jack. I do this. I, you know, I like this. And they just didn't get it. And it was the precursor to what everyone's doing now. And so social media has been a part of my life since the day I can remember. So finding those boundaries for me is a little bit hard because it's just, it's been ingrained in me. Oh, well, you know, I did this today. Oh, let's post it. It's, but it's also that connection. I find a lot of moms say I'm so lonely in newborn life because you are stuck at the home. You're breastfeeding at 2 a.m. or bottle feeding at 4 a.m. and just you're all alone. But I find with social media, you know, you can that's why if you ever message me and I'm messaging you back at 4 a.m., that's what I'm doing. You can have those connections at 4 a.m. and you say, like, hey, people are interacting with you and you don't feel so alone and good and bad. You get some largely good advice from social media. A lot of the things people care about and and they say, you know, hey. I noticed you were doing this. Try this next time. This helped. This this worked for me. And I'm always open to that. So for me, the social media thing in my life is a really good thing. So setting those boundaries hasn't really been a problem because I, I look forward to it and I, and I enjoy social media. But I do find there are triggers. If I'm, and my husband will tell you this, if I'm irritable or I'm feeling stressed, like, oh, I just, I can't keep up. That's a real trigger warning for me. Like, okay, Jackie, you've been on social media too much. If I'm feeling inadequate or I'm feeling that I can't keep up, I'm not doing enough, then that's that's a big no-no. And I try and just take a break, just kind of put my phone away, keep it upstairs, watch a movie with the girls downstairs and just kind of separate myself. I think that's so important. It's so great that you know what your trigger is too, and that you know what your trigger is trying to tell you. I always say that your triggers are trying to tell you something. And I think when we get emotionally activated, we try to like push that away because it's uncomfortable. Yes. There's a reason for it. (laughs) That I have, I can't take credit for that. That is my husband. It is like, whoa, Jackie, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh yeah, this is it. There it is. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, no, that's so great. I mean, it's really great that you can have that healthy relationship with social media, um, especially being, you know, such a dominant presence. I'm curious what some of the differences are between when you were modeling and having that social presence versus the social media presence that you have now. Because I know you mentioned that um, during your model, I don't know what the duration of that period was like for you, but I know you mentioned that it was like a little bit toxic and that was something that you you know, you obviously found your way out of, but, um, why don't we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, when I was modeling social media was, it was right after I was done that Nexopia kind of came around. So I wasn't really on social media that much when I was modeling, I think back. And I truly think that was a blessing. Mm-hmm. My mind frame. I mean, I was, I was 16 at the time. And so I have to, you have to remember yourself when you're 16 years old, everything is a huge deal and everything that you see impacts you. And I, I don't want to blame my mom because she grew up in the exact same world where my mom is gorgeous and beautiful, but she never thinks that she's good enough. And she still is struggling with that to this day. So I grew up in that culture of an eighties mom trying the cabbage soup diet, you know, every two months or trying this diet and 
and saying, oh, my jeans are too fat. Like I'm too fat for my jeans or my jeans are too tight or this shirt doesn't look right. There was never, and she never portrayed it on me like Jackie, you're fat. She never said that, but it was very common in my household to hear I'm fat or I don't feel great or I don't want to go out. I don't look good. And so I am realizing as a mother now that impacts your kids, whether you're, you're not saying it to them, you're saying it to yourself, but you think that that's normal. And so I went into this modeling world thinking like, I'll never be skinny enough. I'll never be good enough. And if I can just get to this weight, I'll be happy. And I did. I got to those weights and I was, it's the same old story. You're never happy when you reach that weight because there's always one more goal. And so I feel like for me personally, I just was impacted negatively on the modeling world and the fact that I was never good enough. And I had success in it, but I never saw that. I never thought that it was, I was good enough. I was skinny enough. There were always girls that were better than me. Than me. And if I looked like her, then I'd be better. Then I'd be happier. And so it was, it was a good thing for me to get out of that industry, I think. And I feel like if I had social media at that point in my life, it would have just magnified everything. I think that's so tough because there's always going to be someone that's better than you. There's always going to be someone that is more quote unquote successful, that has more money, that seems happier, that has more luscious hair or a nicer complexion <laughs> or a more toned physique or whatever it is. Like there's always going to be someone that you can compare yourself to. And I think a good point is that with social media now, we have such easy access to comparative others. You know, you can... Exactly look at your phone any time of the day and compare yourself to somebody or to a previous version of you or whatever it may be. I think the other thing that's so interesting that you mentioned, and I think about this so often is the idea of how so many of us were raised in that time period of, um, almond moms or just like in the, you know, the weight watcher scene or slim fast or cabbage diet or like all the things, right. It was just so body image focused and how like a lot of us didn't have, like my mom was the same. She never commented on my weight specifically, but she was always on the scale. She was always complaining about how her weight was too high or yeah, her pants didn't fit. Um, and the thing about that is that children don't understand nuance. So like for you and I, our moms weren't talking about our bodies, but we see that they're unhappy. So we make the connection that, okay, well, if being too large makes you unhappy, then I need to do everything I can to not be that size or not look like that or not be that weight because I don't want to be unhappy and that is unsafe. So as children, that's what we internalize and that's what we learn. And then it manifests obviously into our own body image issues. It manifested for me into an eating disorder and many, many years of disordered eating after that. And again, to know, you know, not to blame our parents because we do the best that we can with what we have. My mom and I have had some very good candid conversations about it because I still find her, she is working on it as well. I mean, this, the kind of pushback to diet, diet culture and, and saying like, no, this is not okay. She's, she's in that movement. She's working on herself. And we've had some very candid conversations where she didn't even realize some of these memories that I'm coming back with. And she just said, yeah, that was just an off the cuff comment. I, yeah, but they stick with you. They stick with you as a kid. So being a mom now, it's hard. It's very hard. I'll see pictures of myself and, and want to verbalize that and say, gosh, I was so skinny back then. Like, no, Jackie, we are not doing this. We are not doing this. 
and, you know, just shutting it out, pushing back on that diet culture and on our, on our own inner voices. We're with ourselves 24 seven. The least we can do is be kind to ourselves. I'm going to interrupt this episode for just a minute to invite you to start your intuitive eating journey to truly discover what it's like to live in peace with food and accept your body. Maybe you've thought about what it would be like to live without food rules, but fear that you won't be able to control yourself around pizza, cookies, ice cream. Maybe you have a desire to eat without food guilt, but fear weight gain. That is why I created my 12-week intuitive eating program, a step-by-step guide to help you ditch the diet mentality and embrace food freedom. Inside the program, you have access to all the tools you need to help you understand your metabolism, eat healthy, satisfying meals, and never feel the need to go on another diet again. You also have access to one-on-one coaching calls with me to help design a custom game plan specifically for you. So if you're ready, I'd love for you to join me in the fall session starting September, 2023. You can grab your spot on the waitlist at bloombodycollective.com under the services tab, food freedom course, or click the link below. Whether you've tried intuitive eating in the past or you're sick of dieting and ready to discover what it's like to have a relationship with food that isn't stressful, this program will transform your life. All right, now back to the episode. So as a mom trying to push back on that diet culture and not say those things to myself, but also in front of my kids, because I'm not saying it to them, but they're sure soaking it in. Do you find that it's more difficult being a mom because there's obviously the diet culture aspect of it, but then there's also like the bounce back or the comeback culture of, you know, like six weeks postpartum, you should be getting back into it. And by the time you're three months postpartum, you should have your pre-baby body again. And that's just outrageous. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of pressure even now, even now when everyone's like, rah, rah, embrace your postpartum body. I think deep down, at least for me, all us eighties and nineties babies are still like, yeah, but we probably should be getting back into our genes. And it's really hard to tell yourself, no, it's okay. It's okay. Are you happy? Are, what are you doing to make yourself happy? You know what I mean? Like I, I saw, you know, who's been really good on social media about this is Bird's Papaya. And I know everyone's ranting and raving about her, but there is a reason why. And she has helped me personally just accept it. I've had three kids and every postpartum has gotten easier with body acceptance because of following her posts and because of some work that I've done as well. But I mean, she had a quote the other day where it was like she had her belly um, showing and, and obviously it's a postpartum belly. And she said, is it weird or did we just grow up never seeing it? Yeah, this is so true. Our moms were hiding this stuff for years or, you know, dieting and weight watching because it was just like, not okay. What's not okay about it? We had a baby. Of course our body is going to stretch. I truly believe in being healthy and, and treating your body right. But if you've got a few stretch marks and you've got a belly, you had a baby, like that's understandable. Yeah. I love that. That's so true. And I think that's, that's so relevant for so many things, you know, is it weird or are we just not talking about it? You know, when yeah, it comes it's always to- hidden from us, especially as kids. Yeah. So have you found then that like, since you, I mean, now you're a mom of three, so you've had three postpartum experiences, you are on social media, you are very much in social eye. Do you find that that makes it difficult to still be in that space of body acceptance and, you know, weight neutrality and, um, fighting the noises that's, that are coming from all different angles? 
definitely. It's still hard. I'm not going to lie. I see other postpartum moms. We had babies at the same time. I am comparing our bodies and I know that I shouldn't be, but I still am. And that's part of the work I'm doing is that, you know, I've got to work on that personally, but truthfully, it's gotten way easier where I've given myself the grace as I should. It's okay. It's, it's not that it's weird. It's not that it's bad. I'm not the size that I was when I, before I had babies, but I'm healthier mentally, mentally way healthier. I think even Nicole, like the birth papaya admits that she still struggles with comparison and body image. And, you know, as much as she shows up as such an impactful person in that space, anyone that I know that's in, you know, the body image space or the self-love space is still very transparent about the fact that like, yeah, I have crappy body image days and I am too. You know, I talk about that all the time that there, I still catch myself sometimes body checking. And then I have to be like, no, we don't do this. We're not doing this. Like it's fine. Just walk away from the mirror. You don't need to be, you know, criticizing yourself right now for what, how does that make anything better? I found something that's really helpful for me is exactly saying those sentences. We're not doing this. But then going back and remembering, you know, okay, the girls and I, we had a pool day. Did I have fun that day? And like, do I remember what my body looked that day? And I, I, I truly don't. And I, I figure that's my way of showing that I, I am successful in this changing of my mind is the fact that I'm remembering those memories, not how my body looked that day. And truth be told, it used to be like that. That I used to think back and say, that was a good body day that I looked skinny that day. Oh, and now I don't, I say, oh my gosh, Kennedy jumped off the highest diving board that day. And that's such a change for me. And it has brought me so much joy. That's so amazing. That is so amazing. And that's so incredible for your kids as well. Like they are so blessed to be growing up with you as their mom, as their role model. I promise you, it is not easy. And there is every day it's that battle. We are not doing this. We're not doing this. Why? What is the point? Yeah. I think it's okay that that's the battle though. And I think that, again, that's something that we just need to normalize. Like this is, this is just what it is. You know, it is a constant battle because that's the world that we live in. An analogy that I've given um, people before is it's almost like, like being in this space of like anti-diet or body acceptance. It's almost like going into a church and saying that you don't believe in Jesus, you know? And you're like, no, God doesn't exist. There's no God. There's no Jesus. None of that is true. And you're in a church of people who are worshiping the Bible. And you're like, no, it's not a thing. Like you would have to constantly be reinforcing that this is my truth, you know? Yes. Yeah. You, you have to do what works for you. And I think somebody is lying if they are saying, oh yeah, I don't compare myself to anyone. How is that possible? To me, like, that's just not possible. We're all comparing, but it's just putting it in its place and realizing what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I personally see you as a very inspiring and influential woman. And I'm curious if you see yourself as that. I've had people ask me this question before, if, if I think that I'm successful. And so I'm curious for you, like talking about all of those feelings of not enoughness and some of those self-limiting beliefs, like, do you feel like you are successful and what challenges do you face on a regular basis that maybe might not be obvious to people in the social world that follow you? I would love, I, I want to meet somebody that says, yes, I am successful because no, who, who's like, yes, 
I'm successful. I am doing all the things, even if they are, do you really see it? You don't see yourself as others see you. So thank you for that. That feedback is amazing. And I do take that to heart. And honestly, I need to hear it because I don't, I'm a firstborn daughter, people pleaser. Mm. 100%. <laughs> like, <laughs> I take care of everyone else. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need to drink anything. I don't need to eat anything. I'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like, it's just put everyone else first. And so to hear that, that others view as successful, that means a lot. And that's like a A plus from the teacher. So thank you. Um, but I don't No, I don't see myself as successful. I always see myself as I have to work harder. And that is truthfully something I have to work on as well. But I feel every day like, nope, I got to prove myself. I got to work harder. I got to do this. And I'm sure some therapist is listening to this being like, oh my gosh, this girl needs to go to therapy about this. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just... To me, there's always more work to be done. And there's always, there's always something, there's always that next step. Um, I have a, I have a hard time relaxing. My husband will tell you that we go on vacation and it's like on the last day where I'm like, ah, oh, this is nice. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it took you long enough. But I feel like in, in my industry, being in radio, as well as social media, the daily challenges that you don't see on my social media are me asking myself, am I doing this right? Mm -hmm. Especially in the mom world. I feel like every mom thinks this, am I, am I, am I a good mom? Am I doing this right? I don't know. This feels right, but should I have had three kids? Sometimes I put my kids in front of the TV so that I can feed my baby. I don't know. <laughs> Is this right? There's, there's no right or wrong answer, but I just kind of follow with my gut. Do I feel okay about this? If everyone was watching me or no one was watching me, do I feel okay about this? And if the answer is yes, then yeah, we go forward. A good example is uh, all of my friends, I had a group of like five best friends. They were all having their second kids. And we all had kids around the same time. And they were all having their second kids under two years. They were going to have two under two. They were going to front load the kids. So they'd be close in grades. And me mentally, I was just, I can hardly handle one. I don't, I don't think I'm ready for this, but all my friends are doing it. It was the classic case. I remember my husband and I talking and, and I was like, I feel like I should have another child. Like, we should have these kids close in age. It's like, why? You do not feel good about this. But but everyone else says, I should. I should do this. This is the right thing to do. And it wasn't. I held back, obviously. I, my kids are all three years apart. And it was the best thing for me mentally. And now, hindsight being 2020, oh, yeah. I am so glad I waited for me. I just, I can't handle the two under two. And if you can, you are a warrior. <laughs> there is, yeah. So that I think feeling... Feeling like I'm doing everything in an okay way is a big challenge. And then having that tough skin, I feel like that goes for anyone in, in media and social media. There are the keyboard warriors out there. They're so mean. And I'm pretty lucky. People aren't really that mean to me, but there are a few where they will say some things and you're like, oh, that hurts. Ouch. So it's rolling it off your back, which if you know how, tell me. <laughs> Not there yet. Yeah. I, I haven't mastered that one yet either. Those keyboard warriors are, you got, yeah, you really got to remind yourself that that's all that they are. And it has nothing to do with you or your potential or, you know, how you show up in the world. Um, okay. So you, you don't think that you are successful, which I think we can agree is probably a universal <laughs> that I would yeah. agree as well, but are you proud of yourself? 
Yes, I am proud of the work that I have done on myself. Um, who I was 12 years ago, even when I started out on the radio, I remember some of the jokes I used to make that were funny about my body and not eating and myself. And I am proud of myself now for not saying that stuff on air and, and really standing up to my old self and my old beliefs. I've done a lot of work on it and I'm proud of myself for that. And I'm truly sorry, I'm going to start crying. I've only done it for my daughters, which I should be doing it for myself but I've really just done it for them because I don't, I don't want this cycle to keep going and I have the power to change it. Sorry. <laughs> don't be sorry. You do not have to be sorry for crying. You should be so proud of yourself for doing it for whoever you, for your daughters. I think that for a lot of women, children, daughters especially do end up being their motivation to heal themselves, to change that pattern. A lot of the women that I work with are in that boat where, you know, they enrolled in my course because yeah, they were struggling, but truth be told, they still had the fundamental belief that they needed to lose weight in order to be happy. But they knew that that was having a negative impact on their kids. And so they were like, well, I, I know I need to change this as scary as that is to let go of those beliefs and that narrative and that safety net that diet culture makes you feel like you're in. Yes. It's a familiar feeling, right? It's so familiar that it feels safe. Well, and I think that I'm so grateful that you shared that, you know, at one point you were that person who did make those jokes on air and to people and very proudly made those jokes. Like I'm not going to eat that. Yeah. Jackie. <laughs> well, and I think that that's what makes things so difficult is that you are obviously now in a space where you know that that's a hard no, but there are so many people who still wear that with a badge of honor. And yes. so how do we, how do we fight back on that? You know, I've, I've been to so many networking events and conferences and, and different social events where the speakers are talking about nothing that has to do with food or body. And somehow they sag an offside comment about their keto diet or how like they're feeling so much better because they've lost weight. And I'm like, this is not, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Also like just stop. Yeah. They always, it, it always finds a way of getting in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful that you have done so much work around this and that you are in a different space and um, your girls are again, just in such great hands. And yeah, I, I would, um, I hope so. Just like you, we just, we want to change it. We don't, and it's nothing against our parents that my mom feels such guilt over this. And I talk to her about it and it's not her. This is the way she grew up as well. Like it was just, that was society and, and change takes time. But if we can do it now, think how great the next generation is going to be. And the generation after that, my gosh, like do the hard work now. So do you think that all of this stems back from like really younger years? I know that you mentioned that you listened to my story. So it would have been one of my first podcast episodes and a lot of it really resonated with you. So what, um, what part specifically? Uh, I feel like you when you talked about your eating disorder and how it, it, you don't even realize that it's happening, right? You just, and you want to feel that control. And, and when you were talking about that and, and how you were hiding it, and I 
I really resonated with that because, and, and when you talked about the scene of when your dad was outside the door, I started to cry. because I was just like, gosh, like that was my parents. Like they started to get really worried at the end of my modeling career where they were like, you are getting really skinny. Every time you come home from a trip, you're skinnier. And I just didn't see it. I didn't see it. I still thought that, oh, my size one or whatever it was, was too like, whoa, no, I need, I need to go further. And you just, you don't see it yourself. You don't see how sick you are yourself. Um, and it takes, it takes a village. So when you, when you were talking about your disorder and how you, how you didn't even realize it was happening until it was too late. And you don't. And even then it was so hard to accept because there's still, it's that idea of not enoughness. You know, there's always something else. And I think for me specifically, what made it difficult is that the bloody BMI scale is still used and was still used. And based on the BMI scale, I was still in the healthy range. So for me, that was, and for my eating disorder, that was a justification that like, well, I'm still healthy, so I'm fine. So I can still lose more weight. I'm not underweight yet. So I'm not doing good enough, which is so crazy. But I think it's also very much that like type A perfectionist, people pleasing. Oh yeah. And you, you give yourself every excuse in the book. And the fact that, I mean, I was on diet pills. I was taking pills that I probably shouldn't be taking, but they were sold in a health food store. So they're, they're fine. Yeah. Were they behind the counter and I had to ask for them? Yes. That didn't tip me off. Oh yeah. But they're fine. They're sold over the counter. So it's fine. Like, no, it's not fine. (laughs) There's so much, even now that's disguised as health, you know, keto, intermittent fasting, clean eating is an eating disorder. Orthorexia is clean eating. But, you know, we hear that all the time that like, oh, I'm eating so clean. What does that even mean? You're washing your food? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What does it mean? Right. And it's a badge of honor. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That we need to start strip it off. So I'm, yeah, I'm really grateful that you have that mindset too, and that you have such a presence that you can have that voice. Um, and I think that this episode is really gonna, gonna help that a lot. I I love to just wrap up episodes by asking for some actionable tips, some actionable pieces of advice. Um, and originally I think I was going to ask you a little bit about goal setting and just like people like providing people some direction for their lives. And, you know, maybe we can still kind of go that route, but I think we did also just talk a lot about like the healing journey of, (laughs) of, 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 women, you know, of, of diet culture and body image and, you know, obviously the experience of motherhood and postpartum and, um, and you've done a lot of work around this, obviously it's been a journey for you as I think it is for most people. It has been for me as well. So do you have any action steps for people that can maybe be a launch point or, um, you know, just, just to provide them some sort of guidance, whether it be about healing your relationship with food and your body, maybe like daily things that you incorporate or just things that have been notable along your journey that have made a big impact and allowed you to go from that Jack that made jokes about, you know, not eating certain foods to obviously being where you are now. Um, or also, you know, maybe making maybe action steps to just start to set some more aligned goals. Cause I think that's a big struggle with people with goals and accomplishing goals is that, you know, you might set a weight loss goal, but is it actually, in alignment for you? Like, is that actually rooted in your values or is it because the world is telling you that that's what you should be doing? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think just my my number one piece of advice is just be very aware of your thoughts. Uh, I didn't I didn't realize how much negative self talk I said to myself, and it's very cliche, like oh, be your best friend. You know, you should say the nice things to yourself. When you actually think about it, you are with yourself twenty four seven. And what is that inner dialogue? I don't know. I I mean, I always have an inner dialogue going on. It could be the radio host in me, where it's always. <laughs> always talking in my head but it's like what are you saying to yourself what are you oh you had a good breakfast so you're gonna have a good day it's like Mm -hmm. even just stuff like that or oh you know what you you calorie restricted the rest of the day so you can have a dessert what are you saying to yourself would you say that to your son or daughter no never oh my daughter my oldest daughter kennedy kennedy you know you had a healthy breakfast you can have a treat no, like the, the, that association of good and bad food. So that would be my number one piece is just before you start any of this, just be aware of like, go throughout a day and just be like, what am I saying to myself? Because that is what you're going to start to believe. Your mind is the greatest tool and the worst tool, but the greatest, most powerful tool that you have. And it believes anything that you say on repeat to it. So those affirmations are so important. Um, even if it takes, you know, looking in the mirror and putting a post on your mirror, you look great. Even subconsciously, you're just going to see that and you're just going to believe, eventually believe it. It's going to be, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but yeah, as far as the intuitive eating, just be aware of what you're saying to yourself and then just giving yourself permission. It's, it's okay. There's not good or bad foods. Um, something else I really wanted to talk about that personally, this has worked for me. And I haven't really talked about this ever on air on Kissing Country is alcohol and drinking. I have found personally my mind, I haven't given up drinking by any means, but I have become more sober curious over the last three years, I would say. And the moment I gave up alcohol, a lot of things changed. A lot of things. I'm going to make myself sound like I was, and I was, I was a quite a party girl and I loved it. And I loved my wine and weekends and stuff. But a question I get asked on social media a lot is like, oh my gosh, you are so busy. You do it all. How do you have the energy for this? And it was when I started eliminating alcohol, it was incredible. The amount of energy, the amount of clarity my mind had, and the more positive self-talk I had for myself. Um, and, And I do want to be completely honest. I will still have a glass of wine with my mom or my husband and stuff. But the party days and the hot tub nights and the binge drinking... It's, yeah, I took that out and it changed my mindset dramatically. I have energy. I have more positive thoughts and just everything got easier when, when I kicked alcohol out of the way. I would totally agree with that. I love that you brought that up because I haven't actually really reflected on that, but I would say that like my real recovery started, whether it's a coincidence or not simultaneously when I stopped drinking as well. And I actually went cold Turkey because I really felt like that was just what I needed at the time. And now I'm kind of the same as you, like we'll have, you know, a drink when we go out for dinner or uh, on Sunday night, when we go for family dinner, what have you, but, um, yeah, but none of that binge drinking, no shots. Like even when I smell tequila now, I'm like, (laughs) that could just be a bad experience for all of us. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's so true. But, but yeah, that is actually an interesting point. Yeah, it's reflect on your relationship with alcohol. 
I, I mean, it's so ingrained into our culture that alcohol is, you know, you need it to relax. You need it. It's the, it's the potion to have a good time. And without a doubt, we have all had great times and great parties with alcohol. I work in country music. We sing about whiskey. Like, yeah. without <laughs> doubt, I am not a hater of it. But I just, yeah, when I kicked it to the curb, oh my gosh, life got so much easier. Wow. That's a really interesting reflection. I, for a second though, when you first started, when you first said alcohol, I for sure thought you were going the other direction. (laughs) I was like, have a shot of whiskey in the morning. (laughs) That would be a real country man thing to say. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, That's so true. No, and you're right. It is kind of against that culture. Like, oh wow. She's loves country music, but doesn't love whiskey. Just kidding. I do enjoy Jack Daniels every so often, but yeah, just taking it out changed my thought process. Yeah. It was just more positive. How do you become aware of your thoughts? That was one thing you said the Mm. first point that you made was to just become aware of your thoughts. So I know like for me, I'm a really big journaler. I journal every single day. Um, and Mm. that really helps me bring clarity to my thoughts. It makes me think of, I always write down like things that triggered me the previous day, what happened around that. And I can kind of then peel back the layers. And that's been a really big part of my recovery journey. And, um, so I'm curious for you. Yeah. Like how do you become aware of your thoughts? That's kind of like an intangible thing. Good question. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, just do it. (laughs) Um, slowing down, which is very hard for all of us, especially women, just giving yourself that extra time. I find uh, it's hard, but waking up 15 minutes earlier in the morning so that everything just isn't so rushed lets you be more aware, be more conscious. What are you doing? You're not just getting the coffee, getting the cereal, getting the kids out the door, getting this, getting that. You're like, I'm going to make my coffee and I'm making it with maple creamer because that's what I love. And it's like, okay, how do I feel about this creamer? Yeah, it's kind of fattening. Is it fattening or have I just been brought up to know that it's, to think that it's fattening? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it's just when you analyze what you're actually thinking. And that's the first thing that came to my mind when I said creamer, fat. It's like, why Jackie? Why? (laughs) It's so interesting that you say that because I I was thinking this week, actually, Richard and I were on vacation. Um, We were in Victoria for the week. And I was just thinking about how, when I don't know what I'm eating. It doesn't matter, you know? So when we're, when we become adults and we become so aware of these things, like that's when it becomes an issue. When you're a kid, you just get fed what you get fed or you have your snack and like, that's it. You don't know how much fat is in it or, you know, that it has whatever processed that it's processed or that it has. How many calories? How many right. grams of fat? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, it's just blissful. So yeah, I think there's so much, there's like, everything can go, can swing to the other end of the pendulum, right? Like there's that piece of awareness. And I know so many people talk about like macros, counting macros. And it's like, well, I just want to know what's in my food. And I always challenge them. I'm like, do you want to know what's in your food? Or are you trying to control your food? Because there's a very good question. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that sense of security comes from control. They go hand in hand, right? So it is hard for us to let go. And and I do say this with a grain of salt. I mean, I haven't let go completely. Not at all. I mean, 
if there was a choice between a salad and a Big Mac, my first choice would be like, choose the salad, Jackie. It's yes. like, what do I actually want? What is good for me? Sorry, McDonald's, probably the salad might be better for me. <laughs> There's something about Big Mac sauce that I can't say no to. Oh, same. I know. <laughs> give, me, give me all of the Big Mac sauce. I'll just take it home. I don't even need the Big Mac. Just give me the sauce. <laughs> yes, you and I, very aligned. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, so the last thing that I just want to ask you and to leave the audience with, I ask every guest that comes on the show, um, what self-love means to you? What does this look like? in real life. We've talked so much about this at so many different angles today, but yeah, what is, what does self-love mean to you? Advocating for yourself. And that is, I have learned that in the last year without a doubt, saying what you need, that is self-love realizing what you need. Um, this third baby I'm breastfeeding. It's been, it's, been an easy breastfeeding journey but still if you're a mom you know even bottle feeding you're hunched over and so you know my back hurts and I have said to my husband off like I am leaving on Saturday for a massage he'll figure it out I need this it's not everyone before me because if <laughs> these kids need a mom and if this mom is half a mom I'm not going to be helping anyone so it's just you know it's self-love to me is now advocating for myself telling my husband my friends what I need and not feeling, and this is, I'm still working on this, but not feeling 100% guilty about it. <laughs> Even just, I'll settle for half. Sometimes I feel bad, but I'm like, oh, sorry, Bob. I left you with the three kids. Even though he leaves me with the three kids all the time. Yeah. You know? so it's changing your perspective. Not 100% feeling guilty all the time, but just saying what you need because people aren't in your head. And I, I have a lot of resentment towards my husband for a long time because he didn't know what I needed. I'm just like, well, did I tell him? Oh, you should just know. Mm-mm. You shouldn't just know. I love that. Advocating for yourself. I think that's so huge. And yeah, and communicating your needs, which most of us don't. And then we end up in that place of resentment because people are losing my mind. Yes. So angry. Oh my gosh. I had so much anger. Yeah. God, it's not helping anyone. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that advocating for yourself, but not feeling guilty about it. How do you, how do you do that? How do you not feel guilty about it? Just force yourself. Just, just do it. <laughs> Something that uh, I find actually helps with that is gratitude. So I find that, you know, not, not being apologetic about like, oh, sorry, I'm leaving you with the kids, but just maybe being like, I'm grateful or like, thank you for watching them. So I could do this for myself. And I find that if I can find gratitude in anything that helps to alleviate my feelings of guilt. I love that idea. I'm going to practice that because right now I've just been just going with it. So being like, yeah, I feel guilty. That's okay. Let's just do this. <laughs> so do I'm going to practice that gratitude. Do But I mean, still do it anyways. You have to. Yeah. I love yeah. the importance of saying that like you are, you are a mom. And if you aren't taken care of, how do you take care of anyone else? And it doesn't just go for moms. I mean, it's easy for me to fall back on that, but even as a, as a girlfriend, like to your, to your other friends or a wife, I mean, if you are resentful and angry, you are not going to be your best wife or your best girlfriend to your friends. You won't be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, all such good points. This was so insightful, Jack. Like for me, oh. I know everyone else is going to get so much value from listening to this. I can't wait for this to be out into the world. I'm just so excited to share. I'm a little scared. I mean, I have a very good reputation on Kiss and Kendry for never crying. <laughs> Here you go. You made me cry. 
<laughs> do you actually? Oh yeah. And I actually am proud of it. It was like, nope, those boys, I co-host the show with two boys, Chris and Matt, yeah. and they are waterworks all the time. They will ball at like a nice cat walking by. <laughs> <laughs> Chris cheats, cries at beautiful sunsets. <laughs> so, so I am the tough one on this show. But when it, I think it's, it just kind of shows that this is very raw to me and still very close to my heart. I'm obviously still working on it and we don't get the chance to talk about this as we, I mean, this was a different audience than, than would be listening to country music in the morning. We're not going to be talking about, you know, diet culture, but it's very important to get this message out. So thank you for having this platform and for allowing me to share my story and be vulnerable. It's scary. I'm terrified for this to come out. <laughs> That's how I felt when I released my first few episodes, for sure. So I'm so grateful that you are here. Um, I know that this is going to have a huge impact. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you guys got value from the show, I would love for you to rate and share it. And if you have any questions about the conversation today, you can always find me on Instagram or Facebook at Chelsea Glubish. Catch you on the next one.